0: So this next question comes in from Karen, and it came in the comments section uh, in our video, What About Those Who've Never Heard? Uh, Here's the question. Before the rapture, God tells us to pray that we may be worthy. My question is, so being saved, accepting Christ, and if we are not worthy to be taken in the rapture, does that mean many people who have accepted Christ but are not worthy will have to go through the tribulation? Just wondering where the line is drawn for God to decide that we are either worthy or not worthy. I believe that we are very close to His rapture, the ones who are worthy, and I do pray that I may be worthy, but does He give us some kind of assurance of what being worthy means? Does being saved... Mean being both saved from hell and saved from the tribulation is it both or can it be one of the uh, one or the other if we aren't worthy? I have a family member who thinks they are saved and will be raptured, but I don't think they are born again, so I could use some help about what being worthy and being saved really means and uh, then a nice comment at the end there. Thank you very much for watching and for listening and for sharing your question uh or questions really, but they kind of all boil down to the idea here. Uh, That I think, if I'm understanding correctly, and you can comment again, Karen, if I'm taking this from the wrong passage, but my sense is, is that this is in connection with Luke 21, verse 36, where Jesus says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of God. Now, counted worthy is a fair translation of the Greek into the English. Uh, but the word also means that you uh, speaks of the idea of may, that you may be strong enough to escape or um, um, yeah, or have the strength to escape these things. Um, now um, and either of those translations would be fair. Some manuscripts say the one, some manuscripts say the other, but I think they both essentially um, um, give the same have the same basic idea behind them. So that being said though, uh, luke twenty one like Matthew 24 and Mark 13, uh, I would contend and stand by this idea that I will submit to you. Uh, when we read these passages, uh, which are we typically would refer to as the Olivet Discourse, this is where uh, Jesus' disciples ask him a few questions as they're walking through the temple. They see the, the stones of the temple, and they're in awe of this place that Herod has built upon the temple that was built during Haggai's time. And uh they're seeing this building and structure and they're in awe of it. And Jesus says, there's a day coming when not stone one stone will be left upon another. And they ask him, Well, what is the sign of these things and of your coming and of the end of the age? And so Jesus then goes on. And in answering those questions, uh he gives what we call the Olivet Discourse. Now, here's the contention that I would make in regard to the Olivet Discourse. Again, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Uh, Luke 21, which by the way uh, uh interestingly, uniquely different than the other two accounts in Matthew and Mark, um, Luke actually includes not only a brief section that is in concert with the ideas that Jesus shares in the other Gospels in regard to the last days, but he also inserts another uh, uh, element in here in verses twenty through 24ish kind of into that area there which would have more to do with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and then he goes on to speak in terms of what we would typically refer to as the last days or Daniel's 70th week now my contention again after all that my contention is this that Matthew 24 Mark 13 Luke 21 these are speaking about the conditions of the world as relates to Israel and here's the big contention i would make that the church is not found in these passages now, some people are going, whoa, wait a minute, hold on a second. Doesn't it talk about, you know, no one knows the day or the hour, that must be the rapture and all that kind of thing. I would suggest, no, that's not the rapture. That's actually not referring to the church or the rapture at all. And if it if it is, at least in the passage in Matthew 24, if in fact that is speaking of the rapture, then it would likely connect with the idea of a post-tribulation rapture, I think. Um, but But in any case, throughout the passage, there are various... You know, pretty open hints that Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience here in a context of of Israel in regard to the last days. Mention of the fig tree is often connected with Israel. The idea that he's speaking prior to the cross, the church has not been born yet. Uh, not that he can't be alluding to things that could relate uh, otherwise, but but really, the context of this passage really doesn't have the church in mind or in view. Even this passage in Luke twenty one, for example. Um, if you read the entire thing, and, and I will encourage you just to go ahead and read all of Luke 21, um, and, but I'm going to go ahead and just sort of illustrate what I'm talking about here or explain what I mean here. Um, in verses 20 through 24, for example, well, let me just give a brief synopsis here. Um, as Jesus answers their questions, he talks about in some, uh, in, in general terms, like he does in the other accounts in Matthew and Mark, uh, he gives a general sense of things to look for. Wars and rumors of wars. He goes into some detail here also about the persecution that his hearers should expect to uh, undergo during this time that he is describing. Again, Israel in mind. Um, now, I'll come back and explain more about that in a second, but as he then moves into chapter uh, 21, verse 20 through 24, there is mention here about Jerusalem being surrounded by the armies and they come against them and, and, and ultimately uh, uh, the, the call is then to flee and to run and everything. Well, this is a reference ultimately to uh, 70 AD, when Titus Vespasian comes and sacks the city. Matter of fact, it is in Luke 19 that Jesus talks about this event that is going to take place because they did not recognize this their day. They rejected the Messiah on the very day he was supposed to arrive into Jerusalem, according to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, or 24 to 26, really. But uh, the idea here is that they rejected uh, his arrival, and so therefore, Destruction was going to come upon them. Uh, And then in verse 24, there's this statement here. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, we also see this expression used by Paul in Romans chapter 11, where he talks about the idea of the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. Well, In eschatology, and and again, if you are millennial uh, in your thinking, if you believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ as the final dispensation of God's plan of the ages coming to fruition prior to eternity, the new heavens and the new earth— Christ literally coming to establish his kingdom as described in uh, Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 into chapter 20 uh, the millennial kingdom that is promised to Israel throughout uh, places in the Old Testament Jesus encourages us to pray for his kingdom for the kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven uh, this idea of that coming kingdom uh, is what happens at a certain point in eschatology that comes at the end of what is described or referred to as Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week, and this is what I just mentioned a moment ago, I was gonna come and explain more of. Uh, Daniel's 70th week is a period of time described in Daniel chapter nine at the beginning. As a matter of fact, watch turn there with me? Daniel chapter nine in verse 24, Daniel gets a vision. Now, this is not Daniel's first vision that he's gotten. It's also not gonna be his last. Um, but in Daniel chapter nine, he is given this vision, and it begins something like this. Uh, here we go. Let me I, normally I bookmark these just so I can jump to them quickly for the sake of time. I did not do that here. But chapter nine of Daniel begins with this, or, or uh, verse twenty-four, I should say, uh, begins like this. The angel comes and begins to explain this. This dream, this, this it gives this vision to Daniel, and he says this: seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And then he goes on to give this vision, um, uh, or he gives this, uh, you know, this prophecy, I should say. I've been saying vision, this prophecy. But notice how it starts. This this, uh, 70 weeks, I should say, are determined for your people and for your holy city. In other words, who's in view? Daniel's people, Israel, to the Jews, his holy city, Jerusalem. Okay? So we know who the audience is. Now, when you read through this and you read other passages that describe the last days, we come to realize that there is a period of time that focuses specifically on Israel. In the book of Revelation, this would be uh, Revelation chapter 6, all the way up until chapter 19, verse 11, when Christ returns. Uh, Chapter 4, at the beginning of chapter 4 in Revelation, John is called to come up here on the Lord's Day in that. And uh, and some see in that a picture of the rapture. It could very well be. I will say this, by the time you get to the beginning of chapter 6, you don't see the church again until the idea of Christ's return and all of, you know, his saints coming with him in that as as Jude would uh, weigh in on this. And so there is a big period of time, I would argue, the last 7-year period of time referred to as Daniel's 70th week that is specifically focused on Israel during that time. Well, all that to say this, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 with the exception of, of the reference to 70 ad uh, in verses 20 uh, 20 through 21 through 24 um, all of this these passages have to do specifically with Israel during that period of time and so uh so that being said when we come to Luke 21 verse 36, We're not talking about worthy to be taken away in the rapture. We're talking about those who will end up enduring that period of time and having the strength to ultimately uh, make their way through it or uh, to somehow escape some of that. Um, Wouldn't necessarily mean being snatched away. It could mean people dying during that period of time. Uh, There is a period of time when those stung by these crazy creatures uh, won't be able to die even though they'll want to. But there will be periods of time where many will die, many will be killed, ultimately, um, whether it's through the judgments of God on the earth or whether it's through the persecution of the Antichrist. We do know during that period of time from Zechariah 13, if this is what Zechariah is talking about, that a third of Israel will survive the tribulation, but two-thirds won't. One-third will, presumably during that last three and a half years when the Antichrist violates the covenant that he signs at the beginning of the 70th week. And during that last three and a half years, as he ultimately chases Israel into the wilderness, Uh, they flee and all of this kind of thing until the return of Christ. Many will die during that period of time. And it is said that compared to Hitler's Holocaust, uh, or I should say compared to this, Hitler's Holocaust will seem a much smaller thing. Um, Six million Jews died in the Holocaust But here, during this period of time in in the last three and a half years under Antichrist, it is entirely possible, again, that if that is what Zechariah is describing, and I think it is, that two-thirds of of those uh, Jews who are alive at the time uh, ultimately will be killed at the hand of Antichrist, and one-third will then remain to go into the Millennial Kingdom when Christ returns. Um, So this is all what's going on during this period of time that Jesus is talking about in places like Luke 21. So when we talk about worthy, he's not talking about worthy to be raptured away because the rapture is not in view during this passage or during this period of time, really. Uh, The rapture comes prior to that period of time. I would contend, again, I know people hold different views on when the rapture happens, but I hold the view that that the rapture will come, Jesus will come to snatch away his bride, Before the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. In other words, before the Antichrist comes on the scene. In other words, before Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now, that being said, when it comes to the question of what it means to be worthy today in regard to salvation, uh, this would speak of the idea of being righteous. No one is worthy. There's a story of a guy who came up to a pastor all panicked uh, because he was just dealing with pride in his heart. He said, Help me to know that I'm nothing. And the pastor said, well, you are nothing. Take it by faith. You know, the truth of the matter is, is none of us is worthy. If we are worthy at all, it is only because we have been clothed with righteousness, uh, a robe of righteousness given to us. Uh, you know, uh, Paul talks about this concept in, in uh uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We see this illustrated in the early chapters of Revelation, where there are some given this robe of righteousness. In other words, this covering that now all of a sudden uh, it demonstrates, uh, you know, figuratively, although I believe there's really robes given, but it illustrates this idea of being made righteous, but it's an outward expression of that righteousness that God has wrought within us because of the finished work of Christ. Again, places like uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that this is uh, the gift of God, not of it's not of works lest anyone should boast. The idea of uh, Galatians 2, 21, that if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, there is no way for this to, to be of our own works, but rather instead... Um, It's the imputation of God upon us, giving us the righteousness of Christ, imputing it to us, and not holding our sin against us. Why? Because Christ has taken that judgment upon himself. Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, speaking not only in terms of the righteousness that he has uh, been given by the finished work of Christ, but even the one day that will leave this body behind and ultimately be clothed uh, with immortality, as he would go on to describe in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, and so, uh, so when we talk about being worthy, this is not like Thor's hammer. For example, you know, he who shall be worthy shall be able to lift the hand. None of that is, you know, but rather, instead, it is an imputed righteousness that makes us worthy to stand before the Lord. There is never a sense that our our right standing with God is ever based on uh, our own worthiness at all. Uh, and so, um, so to think that, and and I, I kind of get like in, in this passage in in Luke twenty one uh, in Luke twenty one. Uh, verses 34 to, to 36, where Jesus talks about taking heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that they come upon you unexpectedly in this kind of thing. Uh, and so from that passage comes this idea that you know whether or not you're aware there is a uh, an eschatological concept like this or not, you may very well be, uh, you're you're alluding to it, whether you are aware of it or not, but it's called the partial rapture theory. This idea that uh, those who are not only born again, but are living at a certain standard will be raptured away when Jesus comes. But those who are saved but aren't living at a righteous standard uh, will ultimately endure the tribulation under Antichrist and have to endure to the end and all this kind of thing. I would suggest that that is based on a theology or an eschatology, I should say, an approach to scripture that I I would say looks at what the book of Revelation is saying and who's really in view and other passages related to that. I think they're taking a different view on what those passages mean and arriving at this idea that some are righteous and will be snatched away uh, because of their behavior at the time and others won't. no, no. Um, you know, the rapture is a necessary uh, eschatological point. The rapture is a necessary element of the last days. The rapture is the escaping not from tribulation, not from difficulty, not from hardship, not from persecution. I mean, we whatever happens of that after the rapture, we won't experience. But the rapture doesn't come to deliver us from persecution or hardship or difficulty. Uh, That's not at all what the rapture is about, like at all. Uh, and I know that's often an accusation of the escapist mindset of the rapture is that, well, I just don't want to have to go through hard times. That's not what the rapture is or ever has been about. It's not explained as, as being that. Uh, when we understand what's being said, it is not based on the idea that God just doesn't want his children in the modern age to have to go through difficulty because naturally it would follow. Well, if that's the case, why didn't you just rapture all believers away and no one would ever have to face hardship? That's not what it's about. Uh, it's it's about the fact that the judgment of God is in view during that last seven-year period of time, that 70th week of Daniel. The book of Revelation is is the discussing from chapter 6 on, once the Antichrist comes on the scene, all the way up until Christ's return in Revelation 19.11. 6, one through 19.11 deals with uh, the earth, but in focus is ultimately Israel at the heart of it. The church is nowhere to be found because the church is nowhere to be found the church is gone we're out of here we're taken out of the way why not to escape hardship but to escape judgment that's a very very key uh instrumental element in understanding the whole idea of why the rapture isn't just a thing it's a necessary thing because the the judgment of god is coming upon an earth that is in rebellion against him and therefore the bride of christ those who have been justified uh, by the blood of the lamb, put their trust in Christ. They have, they are born again and saved up until that time of the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, and then God snatches away. Uh, Jesus comes to snatch away his bride. And the, so therefore, the judgment of God is coming upon an unbelieving world. By and large, people will come to faith chronologically, linearly in space and time after the rapture. Uh, we discussed that in a previous video, actually, a couple of days back as well. Um, but the idea is that we are not subject to God's wrath, as Paul would say in First Corinthians 5 or 1 Thessalonians 5:9. Uh, we're not appointed to wrath, also in uh, 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 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10. Um, we're, we're not or 10 or 11, 10, I think, where we're not appointed to this. And so therefore, if that is not for us, we will not be here for that. And so therefore, when we understand that, by the way, I'll add this as an additional element. When we understand that, then we understand that since the church is not in view in those passages throughout revelation after chapter six, verse one until verse 11 of chapter 19. Now we begin to understand things like who the woman with the sun, moon and stars. Now we understand um, what's, you know, what's going on and and who's really in view during this period of time. Uh, it helps us get a better sense of eschatology as a whole uh, body of study. And so, Um, so now I will say I've enjoyed talking about this at length, but that is a rather lengthy answer to your question. But I think your question is, uh, is one that requires a bit of a deep answer here, because I can hear the concern in your writing here. Um, but again, this is one of the reasons why I think, um, taking time to develop a proper understanding of last things is so important. Because it addresses issues like this, it helps us get a better sense of, of you know what um, what's being said and what's not being said, who's in view and who's not in view, and it pushes us to understand more and more about why that is. Uh, and I, which I hope we've at least kind of touched on a bit here today. I know certainly more could be said, as always. You know, I'm, uh, these are never exhaustive studies. But hopefully it's enough to calm your heart, first and foremost, but also to drive you to consider some of the things we've discussed in regard to, again, uh, eschatology as relates to these passages here in Luke and Mark and Matthew. So, uh, again, I hope that helps. And, uh, and and uh, of course, you know, as always, as we bring this to a close, I'll just say once again that if anyone has a question or a thought or a comment you'd like to share, you can do that in our comment section on our YouTube videos. Uh, you can also... Um, uh, you can also email me at info at com. Uh, I promise you this isn't going to just become a question and answer podcast. We are going to get back to our Roman study and we're going to talk about various topics uh, in, in, in more depth that are just, you know, intentionally I'm just covering and not just answering a question and that kind of thing. Um, But that said, I do welcome your questions and comments, because uh, I always like to address these things, because probably more than just one or two people are wondering about some of these ideas. And uh, and it's very possible that as we cover them, that we spark some interest, some thoughts, some... Um, uh, you know, a little something to go drive you to to go to the scripture and, and look at the text and consider these ideas uh, in a in a deeper fashion. So, thanks again, uh, Karen, for asking the question and and for reaching out. And um, so, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you. Be gracious to you and give you peace. Forever And Father, we do pray this. We thank you so much that uh, you have given us your word, which has spelled out for us in surprising detail uh, so much of what we can expect in the days ahead. But the one event that we are looking forward to um, with great anticipation is not the arrival of Antichrist, but the arrival of our Bridegroom, Jesus Christ, to come and take his bride home, that we will be snatched away, snatched off our feet, swept away, to go and to be with our uh, our beloved forever. And Father, we look forward to this with great anticipation. So we do pray, much in line with the Jewish wedding, that you would tell your son it's time to come and uh, time to go and, and get your bride. We just look forward to hearing that trumpet and being snatched away. Father, we love you and thank you so much for the, the eternity that awaits us. We thank you for the rest of the purposes and plans that you have here on earth. And we thank you for the part that you called us to play in them. But we do pray that you would help our hearts to be at rest and at peace. We uh, pray that, Father, you'd help us as we study the Scripture to connect the dots and see how things work together in your Word, and then understanding these things to help us see what's going on around us and to observe and to pay attention, because truly we're getting closer and closer to the day when you will fulfill those purposes here on earth. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. We're in awe of you. And we look forward so much to seeing you. In Jesus' name, amen.